Today, this is our last week in our Ignite Generosity series. And so we've been doing this series called Ignite Generosity, and we actually have some more books. So if you're new with us today, or if you're just visiting with us, we actually have these little red devotionals called Ignite Generosity. My wife and I have been going through it. It's intense when you um, begin to actually seek God and say, all right, God, what do you want from me in this area? It's like God just starts opening up doors and says, I want you to be generous this way and generous this way. And it's, it's crazy. But we have more of these books available. So after church, if you'd like some more, um, maybe, Aniko, could we just put them in the fellowship hall because that's where people will be? Great. We're going to have them in the fellowship hall. That's where people are going to go um, after the dessert auction. So feel free to take one um, and, and uh, take that with you. But next week, we're going to start a brand new series. And um, every year, what I like to do is a series that's, that's basic enough so that people get it and bring their friends. And, and so that it sort of just explains the main way of living with Jesus. But also, it's deep enough for those of you who've been around in the, in the faith for a while um, to get some real nourishment there, too. And this series is simply called Home Run Life. And obviously, the World Series is coming up. And um, for those of you who are Dodger fans, I'm really sorry. Um, I know, it's, I so wanted the Freeway Series, right? That's the, like, isn't that the dream of Southern California, that we get to watch the Angels and the Dodgers duke it out in October? It's not going to happen, though. Maybe, maybe next year. Um, but this series is simply called Home Run Life, and it's actually based off a book that a friend of mine wrote. And um, I was talking to him about it. I was with him in August. Um, he's at a church in Atlanta, and I just said, hey, um, man, I think I'm going to take this and use it as a teaching series. And, and some of it's just some amazing stuff. And he said, well, let me give you a video to go along with it, because we've already used it as a teaching series, and that's why it's a book. And so I wanted to just intro it with this video that uh, my friend Kevin gave me. And so go ahead and play that now, Becky. In life, we all step up to the plate, hoping to hit a home run in our marriage business, our family. What if the key was following a simple pattern? Four words, four life-changing principles. There's only one way to get power at the plate. Connect with God. Once you trust God, you're able to win battles within yourself. Securing your identity, winning relationships with others is next. Rounding third means winning results in whatever you do. Excellence matters. God created this game plan, a pattern different from the world, so that we can have the full life we intended. So you hear more about that. I know that's like old uh, baseball voiceover um, for that video, but uh, you'll learn more about that in the weeks to come. I'm really excited about this series. It's one of those, like I said, it's it's basic enough for a new person to get it, but we're going to dig through some Old Testament stories in a deep way. So I'm excited about that. But like I said, we're in the last week of our Ignite Generosity series, and, and I've been giving you all some homework in the first few weeks. And one of the weeks is, the, the first week was give a non-monetary gift of yourself to your family. A non-monetary gift. Because we're trying to model what Jesus did for us. He didn't give us a non-monetary, he didn't give us a monetary gift. He gave us his son for the redemption of the world. So give a non-monetary gift of yourself. If you have not done that yet, I'd suggest you try and do that. Give of yourself liberally to your family. That was our first week of homework. Week two, simplify. 
try and live on less. Because we've come to this realization that stuff can sometimes own us. Our stuff can own us. And we won't want our stuff to own us. We don't want our phones to dictate how we live. We don't want our iPads or whatever, our TVs, our screens to dictate how we live or how we spend our money. So don't go out to the elaborate meal. Make something at home. Give away some stuff that you're not using anymore to a good cause. Simplify. Week three, do something to build trust in God. Now, God, yes, needs to build trust in us, but what I'm calling us to is to do something for you that would say, okay, this is going to take a whole different trust level if I give to God on this level. This is going to take a whole different trust level. So I encourage you guys to do that. So today we're going to end this series in talking about seven habits for highly effective givers. Now, if any of you are business savvy, you've probably read the book of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book, Stephen Covey. Um, Awesome habits. So I literally just stole that name. So in case you're wondering where he got that name for, where did that guy get the name for the sermon? Literally stole it from that book and just changed it to giving. So Seven Habits of Highly Effective Givers from a Biblical Perspective. And I also want you to know, I'm a big fan of the one-point sermon. I'm not a big fan of the seven-point, three-point, two-point, eight-point sermon. I'm a fan of the one-point sermon. So one-point sermons, coming. But these are all the things that could be entire sermons that we're just trying to give you as little nuggets this morning. Some of these things, you're like, hey, I'm already there. Great. Go on to one that you're not already there. So the first one. There's an outline in your bulletin. Move toward excellence in giving. Move towards excellence in, um, I'm sorry, in the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Sorry about that. Normally I'm right on the page. There it is. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul's talking to this church in, the, in, in Corinth, and he's saying, listen, you excel in all these different areas. Now we want to see you excel in something that, that requires your trust, something that requires a little bit more of you. And isn't that how you grow, by the way? You, you do a little bit more. I used to run cross-country in high school. That was like... Um, trying to think. Sometimes I don't work in years. That was like 40 pounds ago. And I ran cross country 40 pounds ago in high school. And do you know what you did? We, we ran these things. And I, I don't even know if this is a real name for cross country running, but we call them, the training exercise was called fartlicks. I don't even know if that's a real word, but that's what they call them. And it's intervals of sprinting. They are the worst thing ever invented in human history. What you do is you start out by running as fast as you can for five minutes, and then you jog for three minutes. And then what you do is you run as fast as you can for five minutes, and you repeat this over and over and over again. And by the time you're done running these fartlicks, is what they call them, I don't even know if that's right. Again, any of you runners out there, you might know if that's a correct name or terminology, but that's what they call it. That's what my coach said. By the time you're done, you're something like six miles away from where you started. And then guess what you do? You turn around and you sprint for five minutes and you jog for two minutes. And you sprint for five minutes and you jog for two minutes all the way until you make it back. This was the worst exercise 
known to man. It literally, they probably use this in Guantanamo Bay for torture tactics or something. It is a horrific, horrific exercise. But you come out of it stronger and faster. The next race you run, you're actually a little bit faster. The next, your endurance level goes from here to here. And it's because you practice. It's because you've pushed yourself. Because we've realized we need to excel. So how do you excel at something? How do you get better at running? How do you get faster at swimming? You do it. You train yourself. And so in giving, in our discipline of giving, one of the things that we do is, is we've got to train ourselves to be a little bit better. I've told you repeatedly, we don't want to go out too strong on this. This is something where you have to train yourself to decide to give. It's, it's a heart thing between you and God. It's not a pastor compelling you to give type thing. This is a heart thing between you and God. And as you begin to trust God more, and as you give a little bit more, your trust level builds and builds and builds and builds. So we, one, we have to decide to train, decide to excel. Two, we've got to know why we give. Don't give for no reason. Give because you're on mission with Jesus. Give because you want to see specific things happen. You want to see the kingdom of God expand and grow and reach new people. Give because you want to see the kingdom of God blow up. Don't give for no reason. We don't give to support a building, although supporting a building allows us to have influence here in this neighborhood. But we give to support ministry, to excel, to grow, and to reach new people for Jesus. Three, you have to train, like I said, but also use your head in giving. Like we talked about last week, we've got to use our head in this. But most importantly, our biggest thing here is that we need to have a desire birth within us. Remember the very first week we started this series out by asking you to think about the most generous people you know. And then I asked you, hey, tell me, give me one, one word to describe that person. And you guys came up with words like joyful, happy, um, relaxed. You guys came up with, with some amazing words. And I told you the point of this series is not to get more money for a church. That's not the point of this series. The point of this series is when you begin to dive deeper into what generosity is for your own life, then you begin to grow a more joyful and generous person. Your character begins to expand with all these new things. You start to love to give. So excel in the grace of giving because it's something that's birthed within you and God can form that desire within you. We simply need to bring him our finances daily. When we begin to ask God scary questions like, what do you want in my giving pattern? How do you want me to spend your money? God, what do you want for me? Maybe you begin to pray things like, Lord, break the power of money over my life. Then, only then can we begin to excel in giving. But first and foremost, we need to have the desire for such practices. Two, second habit. Examine your heart first and give second. Examine your heart first and give second. Matthew chapter 5, if uh, you're in your Bibles, Sermon on the Mount, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, 
If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So this second habit, how many times do we write a check and say, Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? How many times do we write an offering check or about to place something in the offering and say, God, is there anybody I need to be reconciled with? What if offering every Sunday where we stand up and say it's time for the offering and we pass the place, what if that was a physical reminder of the need for redemption in relationship? What if that was a physical reminder of that need? I mean, this is what Jesus said. Literally, before you offer your gift at the altar, in Jesus' time, he's talking about like a dove or a grain offering or something like that. And he's saying, before you ask God to be forgiven for your own self, before you ask for redemption or relationship with the Lord, go and be redeemed with people. Because I want you to model that first. So what if the offering plate was simply a reminder? As that thing comes around, you go, man, there's somebody I need to be reconciled with. Man, there's somebody, my heart just needs to be right towards God before I start giving. Now, actually, the Bible says leave your gift and go be reconciled. So you could do that, uh, leave your gift and go be reconciled. But how would that look for us if we began to train ourselves so that when that plate came by, so that when we wrote that check, we began to ask the question, how is my heart towards God? How's my heart towards others? Is there anybody I'm angry or upset with? He's excited to give. Is there anybody that I need to, 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 to give my life over to? Is there anything that you need to say, Lord, please remove this from my heart? What if the offering plate was that chance? That time in, in setting in church where you could physically say, Lord, Here I am. When we do this, it makes us a less selfish of a person. Giving with a heart examination attached to it makes us a more humble giver because we realize what Christ first did for us. Giving with a heart examination makes us a more humble giver. The third habit. So maybe there's one of these habits that you just need to tie yourself onto this morning. The third habit, give in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Simply a great question to ask yourself is, am I giving in love? Am I giving in love? Am I giving because I love God? Am I giving because I love people? Am I giving for good purposes and good reasoning? Or am I giving to get a plaque on the wall? to have a building named after me? How, what is my reason and motive for giving? Maybe a great thing to pray here is, Lord, help me grow in love. Jesus, give me your eyes, give me your heart so that I might love people the way you love people and give the way you gave of yourself. Maybe a good thing to pray is, Lord, I want to see the world with your compassion. I mean, how often do we drive by people that need something and something unloving comes out of our mouths? We have to remember the position that we were first in. That, that love, even though we didn't deserve it, love was lavished upon us. 
because a creator cared about his creations and did not want to see his creations go down a road that would ultimately lead to eternal life without him. So we have to remember our lowly position. Number four, fourth habit. And by the way, I did the math. If I take four minutes on each habit, that's 28 minutes. So I'm going to try and speed through a couple of these. Number four, pursue secrecy in giving. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And this is really important. And we covered this in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in 2012, our year-long series on the Sermon on the Mount? That, we covered it in that one. So go back and listen to sermons if you, if you missed this one, because there's a way more than four minutes we could say on this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There is this temptation in giving to talk about it because it feels good. It feels good to give a gift to somebody or, or to give something of significance. It, it feels really good. So there's this temptation to talk about it. But in this temptation to share that and talk about it with others and, and make that a big thing in your life, then, then guess who becomes the hero in that scenario? You do. When you begin to say like, oh man, I was able to give this or I gave this, gave this, gave this. You know, there's, there's an appropriate setting with that. Maybe it's between husband and wife. That's probably the most appropriate setting for that. Um, but, or, or somebody who's more of like a covenant partner, like an accountability person, but it can't go any further than that. It can't go any further than that. Because what happens is our desire becomes for the applause in giving. It becomes for the applause. When we become accustomed to this, we do not give out of love. We do not give out of our own desire, but we give out of the desire for applause. We give out of the desire to be held, hailed as a hero, right? So we've got to be careful of this. This discipline of secrecy is huge. So what happens when we give in secrecy? Like Jesus said, we do not get praise. As a result, we grow in humility. And at times, there's going to be times where you've just got to shut your mouth. And as that mouth is closed, people are like, man, I received this gift. And you're like, yep. And you can't say anything. Even, you know, you know somebody gave them, you can't say anything. And the reason why is the more and more you grow in humility, the more and more human praise doesn't affect you. I'll say that again because this is so important. The more and more you grow in humility, the more and more that human praise and arrogance does not have an effect on you. This is huge. This is very important. Because human pride and arrogance can lead us all sorts of paths. When we begin to let pride in in our lives and develop a stronghold, one of the things that we do is we do things to satisfy our own desires, and we forget the kingdom. And so when you give in secret, it's actually disciplining yourself. It's disciplining yourself 
to grow more in humility so that when the praise comes, so that when somebody you know, gives you ample reason to be arrogant, and, and they will, people will tell you, oh, good job, you did great, and they'll pat you on the back and they'll say great things about you, that that won't take a foothold in your mind and you won't become the greatest person who's ever stepped foot on the face of the earth because of it. We need to allow humility to grow in our lives so that praise has no effect on us. And, you know, for kids, praise is a good thing. We've got to talk. There's some good things there about building self-esteem and, and, and all of that. But as an adult, too much praise in our lives can turn toxic. Because too much praise be, leads us and morphs and begins to go into arrogance. And that is truly toxic for relationships and simply for life. So give in secrecy. Maybe some of you need to develop that discipline Number five, give every day in light of that day. And the scripture I'm going to use for this is, I'm going to say it, and then you're going to say, well, that's a little weird. Um, but Luke 47, uh, 12, 47 through 48. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does, I'm sorry, the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. So here Jesus is speaking in terms that are a bit startling to us, maybe out of place. He's talking about the one day coming of God. And the judgment of God. That one day God will judge the nations. And on that day we'll be called to account. And what he is simply saying is, as Christians, we need to live in light of the fact that that day is coming. But we need to live like that every day. You know, and he begins to go tell a parable that, uh, about this man who stores up grain for himself and, and, and wants to hoard this all for himself. And he, and he begins to tell a parable of that man saying, that man was a fool because today his life will be demanded of him. Jesus is trying to make a point that a wise manager keeps in perspective that each day could be his last. A wise manager checks his employees at random when they'll least expect it because managers want to instill readiness in their staff. And so Jesus is telling us to, this to the church. I want to instill a sense of readiness in you, that you're always ready to go. You're always ready to meet God. You're always, no matter what. You know, we see things that happen all the time, traffic accidents, horrible things. But are we always ready for that life? Are we always ready for that moment? And I think Jesus is simply trying to instill a sense of readiness. Would you be, if you were audited tomorrow, what would that look like? You know, someone's like, oh man, the paperwork. But what, if, what would it look like if God were to say, hey, let me come down and look at your books? Do we give every day of ourselves? And I'm not just talking about like offering at church or anything like that. I'm saying, do you have an attitude and a character that is giving? At work, do you help people out? Do you help others excel? Do you help around the house? Do you help with the kids? Do you give of yourself? Do you give your time freely? Are you that kind of person? 
So five, give every day in light of that day. Number six, establish a giving plan. Like I said, these could be seven individual sermons. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So again, we've gone over 2 Corinthians a lot in, um, in this study that we've been doing. And chapters 8 and, 9 are, 8 and 9 are huge on giving. So 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided to in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in one of the most simple sentences... Paul establishes this idea of having a plan. And here's how that should go. It begins with the settled conviction that what I have is not my own. It begins with the conviction of what I have is not my own. And, and, and as Christians, we need to be convicted of that. That what we have is actually God's and not our own. So it begins with that settled conviction. It begins with the conviction of that I do not have the right to spend all of my money, or I'm sorry, to spend all of God's money on myself or my own desires. Having said that, I really believe that the Bible's starting point for giving is the tithe, or 10%. However, when we get deeper into the New Testament, we find that given every opportunity for Paul and even Jesus to affirm that, they affirm something way larger. And this, this idea of hilarity, generous giving, cheerful giving, which could be 10%, it could be way different than that. So here's um, a good template for a plan. I'm just going to throw it out there. One, surrender your finances to the Lord. Say, God, here's my finances. I want you to take care of them. Two, pick a percentage that's manageable for you. Have a goal. Work towards that. Three, determine where your giving should go towards. Desiree and I primarily... um, give to the church, but opportunities will come up. And when, when those opportunities come up, you want to make sure that your personal values align with the organization's values. Now, here's the reason why I say that. One, just in workplace management, one of the things we know is that organizational values and personal values, where those intersect, is productivity. But also, in giving, when an organization and your values kind of align and you give towards those values, then, then you're seeing more good happen throughout the world because your values are, being, are continually um, going towards good things. And number four, when you scheme in your heart to be a generous giver, the result is joy. When you scheme in your heart to be a generous giver, the result is joy. One of the things I want to re-highlight under this 2 Corinthians passage is this. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or even under compulsion. And what does that mean? When you're on flipping through the TV channels and, and you see somebody saying, if you just give this much and you just do this much, I feel like God is calling you right now to send in a $1,000 check or to do this or to do that. You should never feel compelled to do that. It should only be what God leads you to do. You shouldn't ever feel compelled by me or by anybody standing up here saying it's time for the offering. But this is something between you and the Lord. We don't preach on money 
on finances because we need it at this church. Although we do to continue operations and, and reaching the world and doing all the great things that, that happen here, we do, we do need it. But we don't preach to get more of it. The reason why we preach on this topic is because Jesus talks about it so prolifically. The God of mammon actually does fight in war for your attention. The God of money in the Bible. The, 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 the only other God that Jesus recognizes as a rival God for your love and affection. Money. It has a strong power and a hold over us. So this is why we preach on it. But two, that when you begin to develop these competencies of giving in your own life and a character as a giving person, then you begin to share this character of God. And that's what I think God wants for us. God wants us to share his, in his character, to look like him, to talk like him, to sound like him. That's what a Christian means, is many Christs to the world. That's what we're supposed to be. So we don't preach on these topics because we want to compel anybody to give more money. That's not at all why we preach on this. And if you do feel compelled, to, I mean, please come and talk to me because that's not at all why we're doing this. The motive is to grow in our own character as generous people and two, to combat this force that's going, coming against us, which Jesus actually calls this rival God warring for our affection. Number seven, discipline yourself for follow-through in giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 11 says this, now finish the work that you have eager so you, I'm sorry, let me start over. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do, to do it may be matched by your c- completion of it according to your means. For some reason, I cannot get through that one Bible verse without stumbling over myself. I'm going to try it one more time. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So here's the hardest part for any plan. Follow through, Right? There, it's been said, there's this book called Why Ideas Don't Happen. And there's this great book that where I heard the author speak one time. And he said, you know, it's like people have in their lifetime like a million ideas. You know, he gave some number and he has statistics for it all. And he was saying something like 1% of those ideas ever come to fruition. Why? Because humans, as human beings, we generally lack in the discipline to follow through on our good intentions don't we? We do. I know this has happened to me. I've had thousands of great ideas. None of them have worked out, mainly because I've lacked follow-through. The stuff I'm really caring about, the stuff I really want to do, that follows through. But, you know, I've had like a thousand great business ideas. None of them will ever happen. You know why? Way too busy with other stuff. But we must be aware of the religion that is built on good intentions. We must be aware of the religion that is built on good intentions. We need to be more than people who have good intentions in mind. We need to follow through with those good intentions. Now, good intentions, could, you could have those all your life. But if you never follow through with them, are you actually a good person? That's an interesting question. Follow through is a discipline. So... Many times, how many times have you heard something come out of your mouth and then you find later somebody said, hey, how'd that ever go? And you're like, man, I never did that. I mean, probably multiple times. Guess what? 
if you tell your boss enough times that you forgot or that you just have some excuse or, or something like that, your boss will probably relieve you <laughs> if you do not have the discipline of follow through. If you can't follow through enough, then your boss might relieve you of your job. Follow through is a discipline. As we do it, we become better at it. Maybe you need accountability in this effort. Um, talk with a spouse, a best friend, a parent. Have them hold you accountable. Follow through in, give, in giving will bleed into so many other areas of your life. You will suddenly become a more reliable person. I mean, this is true. I've seen this so many times that when people begin to follow through in other areas of their life, they're actually, it's the definition of becoming more reliable. I'd rather, I'd like to be a faithful person, a person that people can rely on. So that means I've got to follow through on some certain things here. You become a more trustworthy person. And then we find this principle of Jesus at work. When you are faithful with a little, then much will be entrusted to you. When you're faithful with a little, then much will be entrusted to you. Desiree and I were talking about this this week, and she was saying, what if that faithful with the little has to do with money, and the much entrusted to you has to do more with people? And I was like, wow, that's a great concept to think about. I'm not exactly sure that's what was saying in the scripture, but that's a really interesting thought. That what if the little bit we had to be faithful with was money? Because Jesus like God considered money kind of silly. Like when you, when you read through the Bible and you really look at all this stuff, you kind of consider it just silly. But it has this powerful attachment to us because it allows us to achieve our own desires. But he kind of considered it little. So what if the little we were supposed to be faithful with was money? And what if the much was people? Lastly, our, our generosity is a testament, is a testimony to the whole world of what we trust in. When you're generous with yourself, it's a testimony. It begins to be birthed like this type of evangelism within you. People are like, wow, why are you so generous? Why are you so good at giving? Why did you help me? Why did you stop your car to get out and help me change a tire? There's 10,000 people driving by. Why did you do that? Your generosity gets to be birthed within you this sense that you trust Jesus. And as you're more generous with yourself, people will begin to see that and ask the question, why are you so generous? Have an answer. You need to have an answer prepared. So today, maybe you're um, just in one of these areas and you're like, man, maybe some of you are really good at some of these habits and you just do them naturally. And maybe some of you are like, man, I need to focus on one and, and, and pick it. And I just need to be better at this competency. So I'm just going to go over these again. One, moving towards excellence and giving a grace. Maybe that's you. You need to train a little harder. Two, examine your heart first, give second. Maybe that's you. You just need to have a heart check with the Lord every time that plate goes by. Three, give in love. Maybe that's you. Four, pursue secrecy. Maybe for you it's just the lips need to be a little bit tighter and husbands, do not use what I just said. Pastor Dave just said, zip your lips. 
that will get you and me in a lot of trouble. So, husbands, that's not what I just said. But to pursue secrecy in giving. Five, give every day in light of that day as if it's your last day. Six, establish a plan. Seven, discipline yourself for follow-through and giving. The homework this week, because I've been given homework on each session, each, each week of these, is to pick a discipline that you need to be better at. To pick a habit and discipline yourself to do it. Maybe it's follow-through. So how would that look if follow-through is, is uh, the discipline you need to work on this week? Maybe you write out the things you need to do, and then you ask somebody to hold you accountable on those, and you plan to do them. What a concept. You know, maybe you practice that this week. You practice follow-through. Maybe you practice secrecy, so you start giving out little things at work or at school or wherever it is you're at, and you just don't tell anybody about it, and you practice secrecy. I would invite you to pick one of these this week and practice it. Just try it on for size. Because I think God really does want us to become the kind of people that are modeled after his own character. That's what it looks like to live in the image of God, to reflect his image to the world. Let's pray. Father, throughout this whole series, we've been thinking and talking about this notion of being more generous people because you are generous with us. And God, this morning, we we just cannot help but notice how generous you've been with us through your Son. Lord, I, I don't deserve salvation. God, I don't deserve for my sins to be forgiven. God, I don't deserve heaven. And yet you were willing to give it to us because you were generous with your own son. You were willing to give us your own life because you were generous with yours. Oh God, help us to be more like that. God, help us to develop your character. God, help us to look and sound more like you both individually but also to our communities. Lord, I I just imagine what would happen if a generous church went out to their communities and started being generous in their communities. God, what would happen? Who would turn and put their faith in you? God, there's some amazing things that have happened because of your generosity. And Lord, I pray that you use this church to become a generous church. God, so that people would turn and put their faith in you in powerful ways. God, I said it before, I'll say it again, we, we believe that fundamental human transformation is possible. In a world that just doesn't believe that, in a world that says, however you are is exactly fine, God, we believe that you could change hearts, you could change desires, you could change our, all of who we are. So God, we pray that you would move in our hearts this morning. God, as we worship you right now, would you take out any of that want of stuff? Would you remove the thought of my money? God, would that not have any power? We pray that you would break the power that Satan has over some of us with this need and want and desire for money. And God, may it be replaced with the desire for love, and for true love, for your love. 
So God, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for being the ultimate giver to us. And we pray that you would use each one of us to go out in this world and be generous with what you've entrusted us with. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.